in your Bibles this morning to uh, James chapter 3. I have the text as verses 1 through 18, but actually we'll read 1 through 12. The heading of that chapter in the ESV says, Taming the Tongue. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. And look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, They are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And with it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers... These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Uh, Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you that, Lord, you give us a hope, our hope in Christ. And, Lord, that you have left us this sure and steadfast word, Lord, to teach us, to train us, Lord, to be able to walk in holiness, to grow in sanctification, and to serve you, O Lord God, in faith. And so we ask that, Lord, you would open this word further to our understanding, give us a heart to receive it, Lord, that the seed of that word which goes forth would accomplish that for which you have sent it and bring forth much fruit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So James is is, uh, referred to sometimes as um, as the Proverbs of the New Testament. And so you'll see a lot of things that that are contrast, much like the Proverbs do, teaching principles, contrasting. What's, what's bad with what is good, what is unwise with what is wise. And so in James chapter 3 here, uh, James is addressing uh, some issues that are occurring in the church. And remember, James is a, a Jewish believer, the brother of the Lord, and is the, uh, pretty much the chief apostle there in Jerusalem. And so 
There are some things that he's seeing that he wants to address uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So he's addressing uh, uh, teachers here uh, in this chapter, saying not many of you should become teachers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So uh, in that day, you had, you had the rabbis, uh, which uh, you know, were, were formally trained, and then you had others who were uh, not formally trained, like Jesus and like the uh, others you know, of that day who taught. Uh, later, Paul and Barnabas were called teachers. They were considered to be rabbis or masters of that day. And um, so Calvin comments upon this passage saying that, you know, those who have the motivation to become a teacher, to be a rabbi, to, de- to be a master, you know, that time, uh, that there were some who had not good uh, motivations, that there were some who were taking that on in their self-righteousness in order that they might be the ones who can correct others. And we see that that happened in Jesus with many of his encounters with the rabbis, the Pharisees, the teachers of that day, that... Um, that they did it for their own self-righteousness, for their own interest. Uh, And on the other hand, too, it does apply to those who desire and have a godly desire and who have the calling to become teachers that we we all treat it with utmost caution and respect and humility before the Lord because the Lord does hold those who have gifts of teaching and preaching uh, uh, to uh, a standard. If we're... Uh, to be the one to be the mouthpiece for the Lord as he has ordained to use earthen vessels to bring forth the word, uh, then we ought to be all the more careful about what we say, what we preach, what we teach. And so James is not discouraging anyone. Paul doesn't discourage anyone in his letters. In 1 Timothy 3, 1, he writes to Timothy, the saying is trustworthy that if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And Paul says about himself in 1 Corinthians that woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. But Paul was not one who jumped out so readily, instantly after his conversion. Um, You know, he was uh, in the desert for about three years before he actually began his apostolic ministry, being taught of the Lord, uh, you know, how to preach the gospel and what the gospel truly is. So James is not discouraging those with that legitimate call. And I think that, that today, uh, you know, with the, the celebrity uh, culture that we have, that oftentimes we see those who are celebrities or famous or those who have a dramatic conversion story being thrust out, uh, you know, before they're ready. And uh, because we, we, tend to, we tend to like that kind of excitement. But let us always be cautious. And if you see that happening, be praying. Because it is a dangerous uh, thing, and, and you know the the epistles, um, you know, also tell us to not lay hands on one quickly. You know, when someone is really a young believer, let them be patient, let them be trained, let them learn about the gospel. The charge to Ezekiel is the same charge that goes to all preachers. In Teachers, Ezekiel three seventeen to 19, the prophet was called to be a watchman and to preach the whole counsel of God 
And in doing so, he would not be guilty of the blood or the, the, the penalty that, come, that comes upon those who do not believe uh, the Lord's word. So we are to be faithful and proclaim the whole word of God. The New Testament charges those who teach and preach uh, as being accountable. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says that those who watch over your souls are those who will give an account. Those who watch over your souls, those who are in leadership in churches, those who teach and preach and instruct are those who will give an account for that which the Lord has given us to do. So, so all preachers and teachers everywhere covet the prayers of people. Uh, uh, those who lead in music covet your prayers as well because uh, hymns are formative, hymns are instructional. And so we want to choose those hymns that are good, that will uh, teach us the truth about God. Now, 1 Timothy 3, 7, 3, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, teachers and preachers are to not have misleading, erroneous, or confusing theology. And Paul charges Timothy, he says, you charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So he warns Timothy, he says, certain persons by swerving from those things have wandered away into vain discussions. They desire to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now, uh, you know, I don't want to just pick on one particular medium, but if you, if you watch television programming or religious broadcasting, how often do you hear that there are people who are unprepared and people who have not studied the word of God in the things that they preach and teach with all authority? And so we are to be careful. And, of course, no heretical teaching denying the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Peter 2, verses 1 through 3, false prophets arose among the people as Peter is writing there in the Old Testament, just as there will be false teachers among you. So there's no surprise. There's no surprise that there will be those who call themselves teachers who are false, but they will bring in secretly destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, and they will bring upon themselves swift destruction. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth is going to be blasphemed. So you, you hear of that today as well. You see that people uh, go away from the gospel of Christ. And uh, many times that does cause uh, shame to be brought upon the gospel of Christ, not the true gospel, but those who claim to be Christians and claim to be teachers cause the name to be blasphemed. They will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Also, Jude only has one chapter, so verses 8, 10, and 16. Uh, our brother Jason ably uh, preached on that uh, a few weeks ago. Three verses in there, 8, 10, and 16. In like manner, these people, also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, blaspheme the, whole, the glorious ones. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. They are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, 
understand it instinctively. They are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Now, all teachers everywhere are charged, as Paul charges Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 3 to 5. Uh, I hope you had a, a pen and paper this morning because it's like Bible drill. It'll give you, a, give you a lot of things to look at. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So teachers are to lead by example. We ought to heed the warnings and the instructions from the Lord uh, you know, with all seriousness, and yet knowing that we don't do that in our own strength. It's always coming to the Lord and looking to him for his strength. For even the Apostle James says in that passage, for we all stumble in many ways. James himself confesses, you know, that he has a need of the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. So, as we speak about, if I can get my page numbers right. One thing that came to mind during this study is to uh, is the tools that we have, and how do we how do we avoid that? How do we how do we keep ourselves? How do we uh, make righteous judgment? You know about those things that we hear and those things that are preached and taught. And the thing that comes to mind is the importance of the church standards, uh, creeds, confessions, catechisms. The importance of those things can't be understated. Uh, the early church, you know, all of those creeds and things came out of conflict. Uh, nobody just sat down and just kind of thought all these things up. All those things came out of conflict in the early church and severe conflicts that came out of the early church and throughout church history. And so you had various ecumenical councils and things that, uh, you know, that established things about the true nature of Christ, that, uh, you know, and, and many other things. And then uh, in the most, more recent five, 600 years, uh, we have, you know, Westminster Confession of Faith, the uh, Heidelberg Catechism, the Canons of Dort, things like that. And it all reflects battles and, and things that the church has gone through to try to accurately reflect and give us a guide for what, you know, the Bible actually teaches. And so every every doctrine, every deviation that we see today, it's nothing new. It's nothing new. And you can see that from, from the, the guys who lead our Sunday school classes going through, the, going through the Bible and those books. We see nothing new under the sun. Uh, I'll, I'll let you know what my age is. Uh, who knows what Rand McNally is? Yeah, I don't I don't see any younger people raising their hands, but uh, <laughs> Rand McNally was the, uh, one of the main publishers of maps, 
and uh, you know, I, you know, we can remember, uh, you know, buying a Louisiana map or buying buying the big book. You know, it was a great big book with all the state maps. If you wanted to go somewhere and you didn't already know the way, you needed to have a map. You know, and so that was a very authoritative collection. You know, before the days of Google Maps and Waze and MapQuest, you know, and all of those types of things. So. In an even greater way, the creeds, confessions, catechisms of the church are, are like those maps, you know, because it points us to the scripture, it keeps us on the main roads, it keeps us from deviating into all these little side roads and errors. So it's good for us to, as we think about uh, those who are, are called to preach and to teach, and, uh, and, just not, and for those who are not called to do that, it's good to know those confessions. It's good to know those catechism questions because it will teach you and train you if you'll receive it with all humility uh, to be able to see when someone is deviating from the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and what the scriptures teach. So, uh, teaching elders in the Reformed churches for the most part have formal seminary training as Pastor Dean does. Elders and deacons and all those who teach uh, in the local church ought to be studying the scriptures, of course, and uh, while we're not uh, um, formally trained in seminary, yet all of those, the training in those church standards helps to keep us on the correct roads. Now, on to the tongue and its propensity to sin. The tongue, the tongue controls. You know, the, 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 the word pictures that are used by James here, he says, if anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he's a perfect or, or a mature man able also to bridle his whole body. But he says, you know, a horse can be guided, can be trained to, to, to uh, respond to just the tiny bit that is in his mouth, you know, for, for in whatever way he's trained uh, to do. And uh, James uh, has either been down to the seaports or, he's, or he knows of stories, you know, where people have related to him Big ships, they had little small boats that they used in the Sea of Galilee that likely had a rudder as well. But um, the point is, it's a very small thing, the rudder, and yet it controls this large ship. They're guided by that small rudder everywhere the pilot directs. So the, the tongue is a very small part of our bodies, but it, it, it boasts many things. It's, it can be very powerful. John MacArthur says, the tongue is you in a unique way. The tongue is you in a unique way. It is a tattletale that tells on the heart and discloses the real person. Many Christians have the victory over many types of sin for the most part, although not perfectly. But for the vast majority of us, the tongue always proves to be a challenge until the day that we die. The scripture says of the tongue in various places that it is wicked, deceitful, perverse, filthy, corrupt, flattering, slanderous, boastful, foolish, blasphemous, murmuring, complaining, cursing, contentious, vile, sensual, and we could, we could go on uh, for a long time. Um, physically, it's caged, you know, in, in our jawbones and behind the teeth, but uh, it often escapes. One person said that uh, the tongue abides in a wet place, so it is prone to slipping often. So uh, we do need to remember that, remember that. So 
as we look at the whole counsel of scripture, we know that really what comes off of our tongues, the, the tongue is not independent of the brain and the heart. It's really the fruit of what's in, what's in our heart. And so um, the Bible speaks of the tongue as being the guilty member of our body, yet, you know, well, let me get ahead there. The, 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 what comes off of our tongue is not the fruit, but it's, it, it is the fruit, but it's not the root. They get their sustenance and nourishment from the heart. And we will address that a bit later. The works of our tongue today are not limited to our actual physical tongue. In principle, the teaching of the Bible speaks to the tongue as the guilty member of our body. Yet the writing hand, the pen, the keyboard, the Facebook post, the text, and other social and digital media don't require the actual use of the tongue. Uh, but the publication or digital posting, sharing, forwarding, liking of slander or gossip can all be reflections of what is in our heart, just the same as the spoken word. In fact, not being face-to-face with a person often makes it easiest, easier for us to sin against them with a written or electronic word, and more on this a bit later. Uh, Douglas Moo says that just as the bit determines the direction of the horse and the rudder of the ship, so the tongue can determine the destiny of the person. So unruly is the tongue that if someone possesses holy restraint of it, it is likely proof that the rest of the body, the life of that individual, is maturing in sanctification and self-control. The Phillips translation uh, says that the human tongue is physically small, but what tremendous effects it can boast of. So the proud and boasting tongue wreaks havoc in every human relationship, family, marriage, workplace, recreation, politics. It can lead to strife, broken friendships, violence, and in the worst cases, even murder and war. Verses uh, 5b and verse 6. tongue is a small member it boasts of great things how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire and the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness the tongue is set among our members staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell itself those are strong words you know that James continues to use here another word picture, and that of uh, that of fire. Um, and the ESV doesn't say it here, but uh, NASB, NIV, other translations say, "Behold, see, consider how great a forest is set ablaze." You know, so he's really trying to get our attention here. I'm sure you know we're blessed to have uh, educators and homeschoolers in our midst, and you all have a method. You all have, uh, you know, uh, ways to get the attention of your students. And so James calls for our attention here. He had either seen forest fires or the descriptions had been related to him. Maybe James even experienced the acrid smoke, you know, filling the city from fires that were out in the wilderness. But, um, you know, I, I remember uh, last year or two years ago, 
uh, people that had a little birthday party for their child and they set off a little small firework and it, it, it led to one of the largest and most destructive uh, forest fires, you know, that time or wildfires. Um, you know, and, and, you know, we remember Smokey the Bear. Only you can prevent a forest fire, you know, and the little things were always just a, a little bit can create such widespread destruction. Well, now he says only you can prevent wildfires because it's not just forest fires. But have you ever been to a bonfire? Have you ever, you know, maybe like a big one that's maybe like 10 feet wide, maybe 15 feet tall? And as that thing gets going, what, what do you have to do? You have to continually back away and back away. You know, and think of a forest fire, a brush fire. You know, if you've watched the news lately, you see these fires that are 30, 40, 50, 100 feet up in the air. And you can imagine what, how far out that heat goes. And uh, I know, Will, has, you've worked in some of those conditions, haven't you? This is a violent word picture that James is using here. He's not messing around. He's saying... That's what the tongue can do. It can set things like a forest on fire. He wants our attention. He says it is a world of iniquity. If our hearts are continually influenced by the worldly system around us, and we mean all that is in the world that exalts itself against God, we know that God's creation is good, and it's meant for our enjoyment, for our use, for our sustenance, but the worldly system that exalts itself against God is evil, it's rebellious, it's hateful, it's ungodly, it's vile, wicked, and unrighteous. And all of those things defile the body. They affect all of our body, and an evil tongue stains the whole body. Jesus said in Mark 7:20, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, Come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. That's quite a catalog. All these evil things come from within, and they defile the person. And see how many of these sins find their manifestation in the words that we speak. Many of those sins find their manifestation there. James goes so far as to say that the tongue is set on fire of hell itself. And uh, commentators that I read said that that is the only place in the New Testament besides the Synoptic Gospels that the word Gehenna Uh, is used and which was the valley near Jerusalem where centuries before the Canaanites had sacrificed their children to Molech and so it was considered unfit for any use but as a dump for trash for garbage for dead animals for dead criminals there was a continual fire and some of the some of the judgments that Christ uh, you know spoke of talked about where the fire is not quenched and the maggot doesn't die was referring to this there was a continual fire maggots were there always and the stench Um, I'll again age out some of us if you remember the Opelousas dump I guess every community had that but it was over by the airport 
here in Opelousas, and I remember going out there to, to take our trash there before you had waste management and all those types of things, and it was just like this. Uh, hopefully there weren't any dead people there, but there was, uh, there was garbage. It stank. There was always a fire going. There was always this horrible smoke going, and if you poked around enough, you were sure to see the maggots as well, you know, and quite... You know, as you can tell, that was probably when I was six, seven, eight, nine years old. It, uh, it leaves quite an impression when you see something like that. So anyway, the point is, hell is nothing good. It's corruption. It's stink. It's, uh, it's reserved for Satan and his demons. The tongue can be a tool of Satan, even in the most cr- mature Christians, if we're not ever vigilant. So James talks about that creatures are tamed. Every type of tree, he names creatures on sea, air, and land, all dimensions of this world's creation. And he said, they can be tamed, and they have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. That's quite a feat when you think of all the, you know, you think of the circuses and people who work with animals today, the, the amazing things that we're able to uh, tame the creatures of this world to do. And James says, we can do all that, but he says, nobody can even tang their own tongue. He said, it is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And it's been an issue. It's been an issue in all of time. David prays in Psalm 141, verse 3, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. Paul, Romans seven eighteen, in that chapter where he laments about the, you know, indwelling sin, he says, I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Of course, he goes on and gives thanks to God that through our Lord Jesus Christ we can have the victory in those things. But the... Um, the tongue is described here as a restless evil. And the word that is used there, it's used in the context that refers to an animal fighting at its restraints. You know, um, you know, if you've ever been around a, a dog that's been chained up, you know, and who's, who is trained to, to ward off uh, trespassers, you can see that violent fury. And you would not want to be there if that chain or that rope broke. And so the tongue is like a restless animal. He's chained up, but he's really wanting to get out, wanting to do violence, wanting to do bad things. So David faces many battles against fearsome warriors. We go back to the Old Testament. Psalm 64, he cries out in complaint to God. And he cries out. Uh, it's, it's striking there because he said those, he's not that much worried about literal swords and arrows, but he says those who are using their tongues like sharp swords and arrows uh, to slander David, to, uh, uh, to bring harm to his character. The duplicity of the tongue, doubleness. Verse 9, with it we bless our Lord and Father, And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be. 
Again, I'll refer to uh, John MacArthur. The tongue is not just wild and raging like an animal, but clever, plotting, and subtly deceptive. It is hypocritical and duplicitously, duplicitous, eagerly willing to deceive in order to achieve its own advantage. So James is lamenting, how is it that we can bless God and curse? How is it that we can bless God with our tongue and sin with our tongue? And in that day, the Jewish believers, those who were devout, would pronounce this uh, saying, Blessed be thou, O God, at the end of 18 benedictions, which were recited three times daily. So James is here. He's, he's a Jewish. He's writing to Jewish believers, saying, how can that be? How we can say these 18 benedictions towards God and, and say, blessed be thou, O God, and then sin with that same tongue. So... There is an issue there. There's an issue there. But we are called to bless the Lord. We are called to continue to be in the blessing. And I think that the more that we practice that, the less we have opportunity to sin with our tongues. Psalm 134 says, Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. James says, that to curse someone is to desire, I mean, the commentators say that to curse someone is to desire that they be cut off from God and suffer. That they be cut off from God and suffer, you know, in the worst cases. So how is it, how is it that we can do that? How can we bless? And then how can we lash out in anger, you know, towards those when we've just been blessing God? So James rebukes the church that this ought not to be. So what do we do? Well, the warning of Jesus is that a tree is known by its fruit. Matthew twelve thirty three, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. On the day of judgment, on the day of judgment, this applies to, to all of us. Each will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now what are the chief sins of the tongue amongst believers? Well, we could really, we could spend a lot of time, you know, several Sundays uh, talking about that. But um, I just want to focus on a couple of them uh, today. Because while we may not verbally... Uh, use curse words, talk dirty, tell bad jokes, you know, outright lie. Uh, you know, we're still subject uh, to those sins and temptations of the devil, especially uh, the ones that are subtle or maybe not so subtle, slander and gossip. Um, Warren Wearsby uh, relates the story of a pastor telling him of dealing with a person who was a, an habitual gossip in his church and who had come to him, the pastor, on many occasions, confessing that, and uh, came one more time, and the person said they wanted to lay their tongue on the altar 
you know, because of the sin of gossip, to which the frustrated pastor replied, there isn't an altar large enough. So um, may that not be, but there is an altar that's large enough. And so when we are convicted of our sin, we can come to our Lord for his promise is if we confess that, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of that sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But God clearly hates slander and gossip. When God confronted Adam about his sin in the garden, the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. What did Adam do there? He slandered God. He blamed God for sending that woman, saying that that's what caused him to sin. Now, there's typically a pattern of speech that we all have over a period of time that gives people around us an idea of who we really are. So, uh, what characterizes my speech? What characterizes your speech over the long haul? We all slip. At times, we all sin at times. But really, what's, what's, what's the big picture in the way that we conduct ourselves? Uh, looking to see what specifically slander and gossip mean and how they differ. Uh, Pastor John Piper, who is uh, known as a very thoughtful person with his words, defines gossip this way. It is derogatory information about someone that you have that is shared with others in a tone of confidentiality that is not motivated by doing good to them and that you are enjoying in a way that shows your heart is not humble. So gossip can be the spreading of something that is actually true. But what is the intent of spreading that? You know, is it to be the one who carried this tasty morsel to someone else. Uh, You know, of course, we always qualify that saying, uh, I'll share this with you, but please don't share this with anybody else. Uh, Been there. What's the difference between that and um, slander? Webster defines it as the utterance of false charges or misrepresentations which defame and damage another's reputation. We see that all the time. Dr. Jay Sklar, who uh, teaches, who's uh, I think he's the head of Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis, says to slander is to throw acid onto the face of another's reputation. It mars them in the cruelest ways. It mars them in the cruelest ways. This illustrates what is at heart of slander assassination, if not of the person, then at least of their character. It is no wonder that Jesus listed slander right in the midst of the clearest examples of evil that he could name, that passage that we read a little bit earlier, and also Mark seven twenty one, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. And it's not a surprise that slander has a slot in Paul's list of the sins 
of a depraved mind that deserved judgment that he lists at the, uh, at the end of Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 22. Dr. Sklar goes on to make the observation. It used to be that slander was con- more or less contained to a small community because uh, you didn't have all the, the media and stuff going around that you have today. And so it could quickly be addressed and quickly stopped. But it's not that way today. Um, the things that I think that we need to be careful of. With one slanderous blog post or tweet, you can destroy someone's reputation in the eyes of thousands all within a few hours. And because we do it from the privacy of our home, any reproof from the community comes too late. Once the bell of slander has been rung, it cannot be unheard. Once the bell of gossip has been rung, it cannot be unheard. Some people will never look at that person you gossiped about or slandered in the same way because the acid of slander has permanently marred them. So, brothers and sisters, let me have to get to the conclusion here. Whether it be, uh, I'll address this particular area, whether it be politics, COVID vaccines, or any other hot topics trending in social media, there's so much slander about those people with whom we agree and about those with whom we disagree. And we are not to participate in those sins, even if they're committed against those who are truly evil. We're not to do that. Why? James says they're made in the image of God. Even though they're marred by sin, they're made by the image of God, and we too are marred by that sin. So we are called to give an answer when needed. We are to be filled with the gospel. Um, There are many other scriptures that I could read to you. I'll just take a couple of them. Ephesians 4.29, that no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may be that it may give grace to those who hear. Ephesians um, also putting away. I'm sorry. Second Corinthians twelve twenty. I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish. That you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarrelling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. So rather. Rather, we are to do as the scripture tells us. We ought to be encouraging ourselves in the word and encouraging others. Always looking for the opportunity to uh, encourage and build up, to love our neighbor, to love our fellow church members. Um, I'm going to refer you to, uh, on your own time, uh, the Westminster Larger Catechism, questions 144 and 145. What are the duties required in the ninth commandment? That commandment being you should not bear false witness. And what are the sins forbidden? So you read both of them when you get a chance at home. What are the duties required? What are you supposed to do in the ninth commandment? And number 145, what are the sins forbidden in the ninth commandment? It's uh, very enlightening. Uh, Westminster Larger Catechism questions 144 and 145. So what are we to do? What do we do, finally? Uh, I was thankful uh, for Jason. Uh, He pointed out to me a a book that the youth had gone through about uh, 
uh, the book of uh, James, James Boyce's book that says, sure, I believe, so what? Uh, what should we do? We should do as Romans 12, 1 to 2 says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And if we have been raised with Christ, Colossians 3, seek those things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set our minds on those things. Don't let your minds, don't let our minds stew on all the negative things, all those things that cause us to speak unholy and unrighteous things. Because we have died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. That passage goes on to speak to us about putting to death, therefore, what is earthly in us. And, of course, those sins of anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth are listed among them. And put on what we should be putting on, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other as Lord has, forgive, has forgiven us, and to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness in our heart. And secondly, practice speaking helpfully. Proverbs 15.4, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. 16.24, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Proverbs 18.4, The words of a man's mouth are deep waters, the fountain of wisdom, a bubbling brook. And 12.18, There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Do something like say, today I'm going to say three things that come out of my heart, out of the goodness and graciousness of God. I'm going to say it to my wife, to my co-worker, you know, to whoever it may be. Practice saying things. When things that are totally negative and inappropriate, Practice saying good things. Finally, give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you and praise you and ask, O oh Lord God, that you would help us and strengthen us. Lord, to walk in a way to where our, song, our tongues do not sin. Lord, to where we do not set ablaze an entire forest and the world around us. We ask it in Jesus' name.